What's good, everyone? This is the Woodhouse Grove STEM podcast. We're back again. I'm Christian Messier, and I'm joined today with... Daniel. Charlie. Seb. Adam. Fiona. And today we're on the topic of neurological diseases. Specifically, we'll be starting with one called um, encephalitis lethargica. Uh, better pronounce that. Adam, can you tell me? Can you, what, what, is, what is this? Just what is it? <laughs> so, encephalitis lethargica began around a decade after World War One, And... At the time, it, there wasn't very good medicine, so it was pretty much just a mystery. And it was common symptoms included headaches, fever, vertigo, and lethargy. And the worst part of this was that lots of people who came down with encephalitis enter, entered a comatose state or paralysis. And it, there was a large pandemic of... There was, there was a large pandemic at the time in around the 1920s which left half a million dead yet there was about around just as many who were left in basically just a long sleep for yeah. almost decades so it was a brain virus that paralyzed people um was it lethal at all or uh, well well yeah it caused half a million people to die oh god of course yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. easy one to forget um, yeah. and then so, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um. I mean, like, so, like, at the time, there was no cure for it. They had, like, no idea what it was. As Adam said, the medicine wasn't very good at the time. Uh, but then in the late 1960s, Sachs, who, or Oliver Sachs, uh, I guess, scientist, <laughs> met a group of patients at a hospital in New York who had contracted this sleeping sickness mm. back mm. in the 1920s after World War One. And he tried to treat them with the... It was an experimental drug at the time called L-Dopa. And watch as they, I guess, so-called awakened. They woke up from this frozen state that had been, like, lasting for decades. And although, of course, he helped them, there was also the ethical problem that he wrote a book about them and about them also when they were sleeping without them being able to consent to it. And then, again... There wasn't. They still weren't really sure what the cure for it was because it wasn't working on everybody, and it still, of course, they didn't have people who were dying from the disease anymore, right. or from the virus. Uh, so it was more of a, it was more of a case of like, um, there are people suffering from this thing where everyone's suffering, who everyone like in the country is also suffering from it, and one guy said, okay, let me try and help these guys, although it was experimental. Um, so the saying, saying the ethical question was, should he have been allowed to? Do that. Not not so much that because it was like a drug and like you do try experimental drugs yeah. especially after such a long period of time where they've been in like comatose but it was more so that he wrote about them and almost treated them as if they were like his friends and relatives even when they're meant to be patients you're meant to as like a doctor keep um I guess an emotional distance yeah yeah from your patients and he didn't do that and then like would like go to their homes and watch them work and stuff. And they didn't Afterwards. consent to any of this. And, well, for, like, they consented to bits of it, but they didn't necessarily consent to him writing a whole book about it. So right. a whole book, The Awakening, has been published on it. And then you, of course, broached the topic of, like, is it ethical to write about people uh, without their consent, even if it is helping, people, like, medical people. awareness? Yeah. Because it was, it is helping medical awareness. I think course. that writing it is fine, but... If you're publishing it, before you publish it, you should just go around and check and be like, is this, like, I've written this stuff, do you want to check over, do you want to see it, do you mind if I publish it? Yeah. Because writing it, like, 
and that's like your thoughts you just put them on paper mm-hmm. like that's you can't not think it's just a way of putting your thoughts down but if also, you're giving that around to people then that's weird that's, but also if there was like um if there was like medical expertise in there like that was going to help advance uh medicine yeah. at the time then do you not think it's all right at that point to then say Look, it might be a little bit of invasion of privacy, but like under these circumstances, we found exactly how the medicine doesn't doesn't work, yeah. and like we can prove like to what degree it is effective. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree with you. Said yeah, because when you write about them, they're they're being tested. So once you once you've tested them, they won't have um, like other tests. Once you test them, they're done. You, no one remembers them for what they did or whatever. But once you've written a book, everyone remembers. Oh, they were the one who got tests on they benefited um the human race from developing this medicine so you could also argue See, that there might be like embarrassing things in there yeah like, I mean, again, again coming yeah coming off what dan said i think that with with an illness that caused some people to basically be asleep for 40 years it's quite important to to fix of, it yeah, yeah. To, sort of to, the, uh, to publish your research publish what you found so other people can have a look at your research and maybe yeah suggests a different way of treating it. I think as well, you said earlier, the L-Dopa, um, did, that, did that help at all or was it? Yeah, that's what awakened them. And yeah. that basically cured them or just? Well, I guess, I don't know. I don't think that they had it afterwards, so I guess it did yeah. cure them from it. I think I may have read somewhere that the L-Dopa sort of, I guess, cured them for, for a few days and then they were started metabolizing the drug and yeah. became resistant. Yeah. Maybe it was just like, Temporary. Yeah. Is I it, mean, is it still a problem today? Like, uh, how much I mean, of a problem is it? I think it's more about the virus isn't around anymore, so you just don't. Yeah. Get oh, the, the virus. virus isn't around. Yeah, the well, virus yeah. was only around mostly in the 1920s, and if you think about it, we're 100 years. Yeah, on. People are going to be dead either way. Like, you don't. Most people don't tend to live over 100 years, obviously. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think with the book thing, is I'm not exactly sure if the names of the patients were actually made, mentioned, or if there were other names, because. You always have books written about people without them necessarily consenting to them. Like memoirs, that's yeah. going to have so many people in them that you can't like ask everybody to consent and then you just like change their name. So I think if you're changing their name and like changing the details of their personal life, I don't think that is an issue in my opinion because then you're still keeping the privacy. I guess it's the same as research studies we do today. We just yeah. don't publish people's personal information. We don't publish yeah. their name. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the thing is that they didn't necessarily say that they were researching them, um, more so that they were monitoring yeah. them for, like, medical reasons. And I think that's a big ethical thing. For example, with, like, linguistic studies, you have to tell someone that you're recording them before you I record them. Yeah, Even if that's going to change your data, that's, like, not ethical just to record somebody's life. So I think that's also, like, a big ethical issue with it. I mean, if we flip it and say, let's say all of you got COVID and the doctor came and said, listen, I'm going to try and cure you. Uh, is it all right if I come and like re- uh, record uh, my findings of you over this like period of time, I'm going to write this book. How many of you would be all right with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll start with it. Yeah. But if it did it without me asking, then all of a sudden the book was published and I was in it with all my Personal symptoms details. and all yeah, yeah. the details, details in yeah. it, that was not okay. I mean, going even further, like what would you... It's all right if you don't want to like be very specific with it, but like, what would you absolutely have like problems against them recording in that book? Like, what personal details of your life would you would you go to would you take to uh, take them to court over? My you know name. Sorry. My name. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. yeah. Um, name, age, just like details about 
like who you are. Yeah, yeah. Tr- things that the people can actually figure out who you are. You. Okay. But so I like, think based off like if your age is in in the book, say, yeah, or your ethnicity, yeah, mm-hmm. that may be a factor to how the how the yeah. virus. I don't think like you. Exactly. they're taking that data and they're publishing that data and it's under a different name and nobody knows who you are. They they've asked me for my consent. They've gone look. These are bits of data that we've got. We're publishing it. It's mm. under a different name. Nobody will know that it's you. Only you and I will know that it's you. Yeah. Then that's fine. So even if they like post every intimate little detail about you that you sleep with a teddy bear, still sleep with a night, like all that What's stuff. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is, but I'm just saying, if let's say they published all of that, but just put you under another name, you'd be alright with that. Mm. What? If people wouldn't be able to, basically, if it was your information and people would be able to figure out it was your information. Right, right, right. Then that's not fine. If it's information and it's classified so they've got the data like if you did a survey for example mm. we didn't want that survey your answers if you do a survey you don't want your answers going around the internet but would you not not with your name on them no not with um, your name on it not yeah. with your name but like mm. put into statistics and stuff yeah, yeah. put into statistics yeah, that's yeah, fine yeah. okay that's what i'm saying about the book i mean yeah. like how would you react if you were told hey we've like recorded everything that you've done for let's say the past week without you knowing so that we didn't alter your actions and now we're going to use it for research so i think that's like a really big invasion of privacy i almost feel that's better though because well it'd be fine if they recorded me then told me listen we've recorded you because we didn't want you to change up or anything is it now okay if we publish it Mm -hmm. then they give you up but otherwise if they're recording me over the last week nah couldn't have it yeah like it it depends (laughs) like if it's a conversation sure if it's like my life it's like yeah. somebody stalking me. Yeah, basically. Like every yeah, that is what it is. Like, Someone just staring which through your so window. <laughs> yeah. Watching you do your yogurt at yeah. yeah. 2am in the morning. That's, yeah. It's not, it's not great. But you also have to remember, lots of people who did... The L-Dopa did help them, but lots of people still couldn't... They didn't regain, like, the movement they got from before they got the virus. So if someone came to you and said, we've recorded you while you were asleep for... A, a few years, would you still be happy with them having that? I'd be quite interested to if look it's back at it. And be exactly, like, yeah. What was <laughs> yeah. I doing when I was asleep? Yeah, I go on because. But, the, yeah. but then again, do it, what you do when you sleep is usually quite quite intimate. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Much. Well, this this virus, um, encephalitis. Encephalitis lethargica. Well, there's been questions of like where it came from because it's very similar to Parkinson's disease. And in fact, the medicine that they used for it came from medicines that they developed for Parkinson's disease and just so happened to work because all the symptoms are similar. But it turns out it's not actually from it. There's been um, some evidence and some rumors that came from the Spanish flu. Um, uh, I heard you did some like research on about that, Charlie? Uh, yeah, so I was, I was reading about and sort of, I guess, through, sort of looking back at history and looking at different epidemics that there have been. So in the 20s, there was the Spanish flu and mm-hmm. the epidemic of encephalitis lethargica came shortly after that. So there's there's an argument that encephalitis may have actually been sort of an after effect of the Spanish flu. Like long COVID is. Exactly. So yeah. like today, people have got COVID and now have started to develop long COVID. Yeah. Uh, but the only reason we know it's long COVID is because we have the research facilities to see that there's there's a link between the two diseases. It's mm-hmm. interesting seeing the link. And it's interesting how one disease 
like you said with the Parkinson's, it can be similar. Yeah. And by having that disease all of a sudden spike, it gives us information like... About another one. Yeah. About another one. So, for example, with the long COVID, there's, what's it called? Um, ME, which is, you could call it chronic fatigue, but that doesn't quite do, do it justice. justice. But that's kind of what it is, which is a thing people get. It's more common than like MS, multiple sclerosis. And it affects lots of people, but it's not talked about much. It's not researched much because, well, it just isn't. But now that long COVID's come about and it's similar and it has similar effects, they've actually done research into it. And then they've been like, actually, what we've been telling you to do all of these years is wrong. Mm. Long COVID has shown us that. Yeah, the, the other thing I found, just coming off what you said, is that scientists have started to sort of, I guess, guess at what causes long COVID and a lot of saying that the, the mitochondria are actually oh, yeah. being broken down by coronavirus and people that get this. So again, like encephalitis lethargica, uh, quite sleepy, they struggle to get out of bed. Yeah. So it's like... Mitochondria being like the energy centre of the, the cell, I guess. The, cell. Yeah. Yeah. the powerhouse, if, you want, to, if yeah. you want to call it that. So when you say they're guessing, are you saying that like... So they're just hypothesizing. No, 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 of course not. They're not really just spinning a wheel and saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so I guess they're looking at the data and hypothesizing what could be causing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Causing. So making logical, educated guesses. Exactly, yeah. and okay. then from that they can, they yeah. can research more specifically. You need the for the research. Yeah, yeah, of course, exactly. of course. You can't just. Observation, your hypothesis, and then you can do your research. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you just research and blame me. Yeah, that'd be. <laughs> so I guess another hypothesis uh, scientists are trying to prove at the moment is the potential link of yuppie flu being the sort of chronic fatigue syndrome of HIV mm -hmm. um, which again is similar to as we mentioned earlier the uh, encephalitis lethargica and now post-covid um, Fiona I heard there's something similar going on in Sweden right now yeah so resignation syndrome it's not actually a virus uh, like that is but it has pretty similar symptoms where it's a lot of like immigrant children, also children of immigrants or like they've just moved to Sweden, uh, suddenly becoming like really, really sleepy and lethargic and then just falling asleep. And many of them haven't woken up, even though it's been happening since like the late 1990s. Um, so like they're not, again, they're not really sure at all where this is coming from. They're like, perhaps it is um, a depressive syndrome which is caused by trauma but then there's also the question of why is it happening in Sweden only because yeah. it's not happening anywhere else in the world and it's only happening to children and also children from particular geographical and ethnic groups are the most vulnerable such as those from like the former USSR and the Balkans and like Roma children and none of them have been African and very few have been Asian so like I think there's a big question with that again too. We're in the, we're in a pretty similar situation, but yeah. it has similar symptoms. It's not a virus, and yet we know we know nothing about it. I guess honestly. yeah, I guess that is similar, and it it might almost be sort of a post-viral symptom of a virus. Only people of that ethnic um, origin. Yeah, that have that could be something. Is there anything though, like to properly suggest that such things exist? Because I know if we relate it back to COVID. Um, I don't know, maybe five, six months ago, there was a lot of uh, talk about it was only like, well, not only, but it was BAME children. So, you know, uh, people of ethnic backgrounds that um, 
were more susceptible to the virus. And I'd re- I personally, I don't know what to make of it because, um, like, obviously, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna risk it. I'm, I, I need to like protect myself. But um, for this, for this generally, do you think there's um, any like proper evidence? I mean, because I know you said it was purely, uh, mainly Swedish children, but if it is, how far do you think it goes? I guess. I mean. There have been no reported cases outside of Sweden. Right. And within the groups of people that have gotten it, it is like there's a very obvious trend. But it could be like with the BAME thing uh, to do with COVID, where there's a lot of questions that, oh, those are, those groups were affected disproportionately. It wasn't a biological thing. Hmm. It was more so a social thing. So whether that was, I don't know, living conditions, but also, for example, in a lot of countries, they're going to have, uh, like for example, I don't know the U.S. They're going to be dispro- disproportionately treated by doctors. Yeah. Like, that is a fact, and so it could just be that they're affected because, like, more or less purely because of the environments that they've been brought up with, or the environments that they're like treated in, uh, or like I don't know prejudices. So it's more of them. It's more of them. How long they sustain the uh, the virus rather than who's catching it. So it's not like one yeah. group's more likely to catch it. It's just one group might more, be more likely to get over it. and. Or because, I don't know, if these children are like malnourished or something like that, maybe they don't have the the strength to fight off the virus and therefore the symptoms sort of quite weak lengthen out. out. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, they don't even have to be malnourished for that. Just exactly. the fact that they're children yeah, that's in true. themselves that's true. Yeah. haven't mm. fully developed their... Yeah. Immune system, yeah. Immune yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of question that it could be due to trauma, which, of course, if you're going to come from specific ethnic backgrounds, especially if you're an immigrant, um, you're going to experience more trauma than, let's say, a person, a white person who's been brought up in Sweden for the whole of their lives, uh, or at least a specific tra- type of trauma, yeah. I think. But, like, because it's more, it's more of, you said it's more of the children that are getting it, so... I don't know if you meant children like sub like ten years old, and obviously kids like that can experience trauma. But at that age, would they even properly understand that that is trauma? No, but you don't have to understand it. Like I, there's I know, a lot like, of mental illnesses that stem from trauma at a young age before they understand. Understand it. what yeah, it is, like, yeah. Now that is one factor. Of almost, it, the fact they don't yeah, almost it. like yeah. majority of them, at least one cause will be, if you have it will be trauma at a young age which you can't understand and your brain can't understand and therefore it will uh, like I guess put it into a different thing oh okay so going back to the topic that we first started with um, it's very clear that although diseases may be caused by completely different things such as Alzheimer's by a buildup of different proteins and encephalitis by a virus when we can see clearly that if they have similar symptoms, they could be treated in a similar way. So this could lead on to more research, which would allow scientists to create links between different symptoms and then mm-hmm. cure them all at the same time or something. Yeah, I mean, like, like Adam said, Alzheimer's disease is thought to be caused by like an abnormal buildup of proteins around brain cells. Um, in fact, there's recently very recently been an approval of a new drug called uh, Adam Adamanukab, <laughs> something like that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> which re- reduces the build-up of these proteins. And I think the sort of inspiration to start looking for a drug that can do something like this came from a completely different uh, disease. Mm-hmm. Or, as we said earlier, 
dopamine or dopa can treat both uh, encephalitis lethargica or um, Alzheimer's. Yeah, this I think it also treats Parkinson's. Also. Exactly. Yeah, it treats yeah. Parkinson's. This is purely because from of a the book for I read. I think it was Sherlock Holmes, but uh, dopamine as a as a cure is that suitable for children? Um, I'm not sure. You're I mean, exposed dopamine, to dopamine as all the time. Exactly. Oh, sorry, sorry, just, sorry. Yeah, it's just the concentration. <laughs> dopamine yeah, is like the, that's more the of, happiness yeah. hormone. Yeah, it's like liquid pleasure. But it like, does more than that. But yeah. Yeah, because obviously, uh, but. Uh, like as a as a medicine, obviously, because like you said, Daniel, it would be um quite concentrated. Yeah. So just in terms of giving it to children, uh, if, like would they be safe and as such? And if not, if is there like the alternatives are there? I mean, are they, they readily available? That's what they con- they kind of considered that when they first used uh, dopamine for Parkinson's and um the oh, I hate pronouncing this encephal- encephalitis lethargica. There. Yep, um, <laughs> we did it. And then, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I finally did it. Um, yeah, and when they f- did that um they realized i think it's in the nodes when they diffuse this through the nodes into like your body um they found dopamine was like harder to diffuse through because it's such a big molecule um and that 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 could cause like um different side effects so that's why they develop l-dopa it does almost the same thing but it diffuses much easier and oh, okay. yeah that's, that's yeah so i think L- l-dopa is the only sort of i guess type of dopamine that can pass the like the the brain. blood brain barrier. Yeah. Safely. Oh, okay. Yeah, it diffuses easier. So I, I yeah, guess so. also with children it's it tends to be something scientists would avoid to inject kids with unusual amounts of different hormones which they naturally produce anyway mm. because at such a young age they just can't predict what will happen to Especially in the long term. Yeah. 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 In the long term. They don't have that much time to wait. Especially if the child's like prepubescent, then once they actually do hit uh, puberty themselves, and they start experiencing their own hormone oh, imbalances, imbalances uh, that oh. can be obviously quite detrimental. And with experiments, you can never say what happens. So let's say if you died or something, you wouldn't want to say, "Oh, um, this experiment killed a kid." Yeah. It, if it killed an adult, it'd be more socially acceptable than than other ones. Than yeah. a little kid. Just want to leave off just one question. Um, got the impression that dope. Let me say, L-dopa and dopamine, like one was the almost a synthetically produced version of another without the side effects. I uh, just want to hear your thoughts, guys. Um, would you rather like have medicine that's uh, synthetically produced or uh, near n- all natural medicine? Synthetically produced, like has its benefits. It's easier. Boy's trying to shout across from the room. <laughs> Come closer. It's easier, um, like and cheaper to make, mm. and more precise i meant for you as a patient though yeah i don't see the issue with it like paracetamol for example like aspirin take aspirin yeah. for example yeah that is a synthetic version of a molecule found in found in willow trees yeah so if you were to be well i don't want to have synthetic you could just go out to a river go to a willow tree and make it yourself but that is a long arduous process you don't get the best results it's not pure it's not going to be clean it's not going to be safe and again, it's not been researched to the same extent. I exactly. Guess. So when you have aspirin, which is medically approved, and it's even though it's synthetic, and it's been made in a lab, it's been made in a lab to a standard, which I think, if the standard is, if you had not, if like you've got concerns, you can look at the standards. Yeah. But I think the standards are safe, and I would be so fine. And you'd be f- taking it. It'd be like if I needed it. Yeah. 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 Synthetic, I've got no problem. So you would, so you would, in a way, you would risk, because obviously with synthetic-made medicines, they're more, 
if they do work, they're more targeted at whatever the problem is. But um, with with natural ones, there's less chances of like a lot less chances of side effects. Like I'm talking, if you mix like ginger and like garlic and all stuff like that. Well, it depends on the issue. If you've got a sniffly nose, yeah, go with that. <laughs> if you've got like a broken leg, no, yeah, of course, of like course, you're of in course. excruciating pain. Yeah. I'd go with the synthetic thing instead of ginger. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you got what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I do, I do, I do. But um, So, yeah, I think synthetic, if it's something that you need, then... And only that can do it, then, obviously. And only that can do it, or if that can do it to the safest way. Yeah. You've yeah. got to balance it. So, as a person taking that, yeah, you have to balance it, or the doctor will have to balance it for you and yeah. figure out which is the pros, like the pros, cons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Enough, yeah. That's all we've got time for today, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the Woodhouse STEM podcast. and Stay tuned for next week where we'll be discussing the topic of AI.